Welcome back. Today I have Kevin Boylan on from Scapes Designs. He specializes in designing outdoor living spaces for contractors. So if you're a contractor out there and you would love to offer design but don't know how to design and or want to offer additional design support to your team, you could reach out to Kevin and he can help you. And we're going to talk today about designing in recessionary times, what that looks like and how to have those conversations and uh, lots of other tips and tricks that we've learned throughout the years. I've been doing this 26 years now, and uh, there's just so much you learn out in the trenches and we want to share that with you today. So listen in and enjoy it all the way to the end. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. And today's episode is brought to you by Yes Express, where we help you double sales in half the time. Now, right now, we know that the, the world is in a crazy space. We just got out of COVID and we're getting into this more recessionary times where in some markets, people are struggling to find work and others are very busy. So today I have a special guest on today. He is the owner of Scapes Designs, uh, Kevin Boylan. And we're gonna talk today about how to design in recessionary times and things we should be looking for from a design standpoint, because you know, you know, as well as I do that if we're out there trying to sell the big projects to people who have very um, small budgets, we're going to have big problems, right? So we want to make sure we're understanding our clients. We can talk into the sales side of things here, but mostly I want to focus into the designing in recessionary times. Uh, so today, Kevin Boylan, welcome to the show. What's going on, Joshua? Thanks for having us, man. Absolutely, dude. I'm excited to hear what you got going on here. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of this uh, conversation, I want to get a little sense of who Kevin Boylan is. Could you take us back um, to the early days and how you got into designing uh, outdoor spaces? Yeah, man. It's a uh, everybody. Everybody has their own little journey, right? And uh, uh, we've had some fun along the way. My career. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm a one trick pony. Landscape. Landscape is about all we're good for. Is is usually how I, how I tell people that I start it. I'm um, kind of that traditional marquee landscaper story, right? With uh, mowing lawns in the neighborhood, uh, kind of evolved into, uh, I had a job at a field production nursery when I was 13, digging trees all day, every day. That was uh, um, some back-breaking, back-breaking work, but it's where the passion started, right? Uh, yeah. Through all that that hard work and seeing things come to life. So um, again, yeah, just just kind of planted the seed for the passion, really, uh, no pun intended on that, but that's where it all, that's where it all started, went to, uh, you know, went to college for this stuff, um, four year degree studying, uh, studying how to draw, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. to dumb it down, right. With landscape design, but, yeah. um, learned a lot about plants and business and, uh, just kind of continued, continued the career in the industry post-college. The journey's taken me through a lot of different kind of sectors of the landscape industry. I did a stint in commercial maintenance, working for a bigger national firm, which uh, was fantastic learning experience. Um, did some, did some work in the commercial, uh, kind of landscape construction realm on, uh, you know, in the cities. So that was, that was another pretty, pretty cool experience. And, um, you know, now we're, we're with scapes, we're, uh, helping other contractors, right. Kind of level up their business and, 
uh, provide value to their customers in a you know in a manner that uh, otherwise they might not have an opportunity to do. So um, again, it's been uh, uh, a windy road to get here, but um, we are uh, we found a home here with Scapes, kind of a, a void in the market and. Uh, something that we're able to kind of take that passion now and help other people. And I think that's that's the core of our business and uh, ultimately why we're, we're in situations like this, talking talking to, to you and um, helping kind of spread some messages and uh, kind of better the industry. That's that's really where we're, uh, uh, you know, we get the most joy out of out of our job. So I love that. I love it. And then, you know, I, I think you guys, or I know you guys, you know, you fill a major gap uh, in, in the industry itself, you know, being able to sub out your design work for, as a contractor is a huge opportunity because, you know, I'm, there's times in, in my career that it'd been nice to have that in the place because I was doing all the design work and then I was trying to manage all the projects and all that. And eventually you're either going to keep doing it and stay the same, or you're going to say, you know what, what is my lane? You know, where, where do I fit best in this whole matrix called a business? And for some, it's in the design sector, right? And others, it's in the management. Sometimes it's the business, the business ownership, like owning the business and running the business. And people do all these things. So you can either, you know, hire in-house or you can hire these kinds of things out, which is the really cool part. And you are then offer that for contractors to be able to hire their design stuff out to you. So you can then do all the creative work, hand it back to them, do revisions and all that. So that can be happening while they're running their business. So... Tell me what an ideal client would look like for you, an ideal company that's reaching out, looking for someone like yourself. What are you looking for? Yeah, it's just an interesting question, right? So when we started Scapes, uh, we kind of recognized that void in the market and we can help, the initial concept was help bridge that gap, right? Where yeah. uh, that situation you're describing where you're wearing multiple hats if you're trying to do the designs yourself, um, between going from you know a multi-crew operation to the point of a business that can objectively fundamentally support the overheads of an in-house designer, right? And there's a big gap in a timeline and revenue where a business can support that overhead. So that was the initial kind of void we recognized. So the the ideal customer, uh, when we started, we thought would be, um, again, kind of if you looked at maybe what the average landscaper looks like, two, three crew outfit, um, owners wearing multiple hats, maybe not enough over or enough revenue rather to support the overhead of an in-house designer. So somewhere in that half million, million, million and a half dollar revenue range. Mm-hmm. Um, that still is kind of our, our core customer base. Um, we've seen a transition here over the last year where uh, some bigger companies are actually finding a lot more value in our services. I think again, to probably what some of what we're gonna get into, to, uh, you know, talking about like recessions and some of that planning, I think they're on the forefront maybe of planning a little bit further out into the future. Um, exploring solutions that they can proactively kind of reduce their overheads leading into to some of those times. And uh, so again, companies in the, you know, three to $5 million plus range now are uh, finding some value in the service as well. So that's been a cool, cool experience. We didn't really think that uh, we would, uh, you know, have as many solutions available to companies that size, but uh, they're finding value in it as well. So, so again, anybody from, uh, we have a, uh, uh, an 18 year old kid locally here now who who we've done three designs for over the last few weeks here. Nice. Uh, so every, yeah, it's, it's, Love uh, yeah. Yeah, man. The, the, the young guys, not, not to get off topic already, but the young guys are doing some amazing things in our industry, yeah. man. It really is super cool to, to watch them and now to be able to support some of them, um, and help them along their journey, uh, has been really cool. But yeah, so anybody from, from really, really small guys running the one truck, you know, the owner operator, uh, uh, route just starting up to, Again, businesses doing north of, north of ten million. Everybody, everywhere in between, uh, we're finding some ways to to again help those businesses. So, 
That's awesome. And you're trying to add value first, which is what I love about your mission and why you're here. You know what I mean? It's not just, obviously we all got to make money. That's a given, but it's, it's not, you know, passion and, and focus and value is the most important piece. And, you know, when it comes to recessionary times, you know, times when, even if it's not a recession in your market, if people see it enough on the news, they just think it happened, it's happening, whether it is or isn't. So it's just a reality that they've created. So with that being the case, now that's, that's high and, and prime on some of our clients' minds, right? So it has to be at least something we're considering so we can be in the perspective of our prospect. That's always our goal is always to be in our client's shoes and look out in the world the way that they see it so that we can understand how to communicate best with them. And that's how we'll be most effective. Now, with those larger companies or even smaller companies that are getting into hiring, you know, outsourcing their design work out, you know, think about it this way. If, if Mrs. Jones comes in and she, um, you know, she's looking for a design and she comes to my company looking for a design and I don't have anybody in house and I can hire it out and all the cost structure that goes with that design that you would charge me, I can then build to Mrs. Jones. So there's no overhead there. It's if and you should be marking that up and making money with that too, right? So it's actually a profit center, which is nice, right? And you don't have that constant overhead. So if I have five projects I need designed for this year, I only have to hire you five times and my clients paid for those five times and it costs me no overhead versus hiring a designer in-house, sitting in-house, looking at them, twiddling their thumbs when they have those five projects to do in a year or not knowing. So it takes the risk out. The idea that, <clears throat> that larger companies are doing this now is, is common sense, right? They don't know what the future looks like. So they're like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Kevin, have those guys do this stuff. They're, they basically do it as needed, right? It's, it's, it's made to order and they don't have to have any overhead structure for that. And if they get one extra design and send to you, that's great. If they have 101 and send it to you, that's great too. And yeah, they can't lose. That's the best part about this kind of a model. Correct, man. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some, some factors that are playing into that, right. Uh, to the bigger picture on what's been going on in the industry, right. We all know when COVID hit, uh, as unfortunate as it was for the health of a lot of, of humans in the world, right? It was fantastic for our industry, right? It created uh, uh, a spike in demand like we haven't really seen, at least in recent recent memory. Yeah. Um, but behind the scenes, so you have an increase in demand behind the scenes on, uh, if we isolate it where that demand was uh, focused, it was you know primarily outdoor living spaces. And, um, you know, typically uh, nearly requiring a design, right? To, to sell that kind of work. And um, leading up to that, what we had seen in our exposure to, to that uh, particular uh, segment of the industry and the talent and the labor around that was a declining um, kind of enrollment in colleges. Uh, mm -hmm. So you have uh, uh, less designers available. Um, and that had been going on. So it's kind of this perfect storm brewing, right? Where um, enrollment in colleges was was declining, has been declining for for a period of years. Mm -hmm. And um, when you had the demand spike, now you had a problem, right? Where yep, yep. demand went through the roof, supply was already declining for for designers um, and the availability to, to get this work done, um, it stressed the system, right? And that, yep. again, created opportunities for guys like us that, that had another, uh, an alternate solution to, to get that work performed. So- uh, yeah, so that was that was really interesting time in the industry because we knew it, we had exposure to it, and we didn't even recognize how much opportunity that was going to yeah, create. Yeah. You know, um, opportunity for us and but issues for for our customers. You know, yeah. but you were solving a bigger problem, right? They they had demand and they didn't have the capacity to see that demand through. So then they they plug you into the system. Next thing you know, you then have the capacity to meet that demand for them and they can sell more projects because let's face it, most of us don't do designs to make the money or, you know, we do make money doing it, but it's more about the build, right? The money is made on the build side. So how fast can we get from hi, Mrs. Jones to we're here to dig, right? That the quicker we can do that, the faster we'll be able to make money and roll that around. So 
you know, it's important to have that, that, that function that you can go in and, and, and turn that key much faster. I know we had a situation where during COVID we were 16, 18 plus weeks out on design. So if you wanted to design, just a design, it was going to take you that long. And people were just lining up waiting and it was crazy. I'm like, what's the number that eventually people just don't wait anymore. They just go somewhere else. And that's about where it was, but you know, we've <laughs> never, I've been doing this 26 years now and I've never had that much of a backlog. I've never, I, I didn't even know how to handle that kind of a backlog. And we were trying to hire designers at that point. And there was none to be found because everybody was pulling designers into their company. Even if you weren't good, you were getting hired. So, you know, it's for you truth, guys to start yeah. at that time and to be a, a, a third party that could function and, and facilitate that, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, man. And, you know, uh, with that, the designer rates went through the roof overnight, almost, yeah. you know, what their, what their worth was in the industry. Again, cool. If you are a designer, that's uh, great. It's fantastic. You're making a heck of a lot more money than you were a few years ago. Uh, but a problem for, for businesses, right? And, and how do you recoup that, uh, that cost, particularly if you're taking it as an overhead, right? Yeah. Um, and how do you, how do you recover that? Uh, but yeah, that's interesting. You hit on another point, right? Like we love getting into conversations about how to charge for this stuff. And, yeah. um, we think that's super cool, right? Like, Hey, if, if, particularly for contractors that maybe don't have familiarity about uh, integrating designs as part of their process or particularly outsourcing it where they have a, a cost now associated with can, can generate some, some questions or some fear, right. With, yeah. uh, you know, utilizing a, a service provider, but, uh, yeah, we love the conversations about how to, how to show guys like, Hey man, you can use this service. It can help you grow your company. And by the way, uh, it won't cost you anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how do, you, how do you coach your, your new people coming in that might be new to this, you know, hiring a designer, outsourcing this work. And, you know, even some of my classes, I have people in there that are, their biggest project was 15 or 20,000. And they, they dream about doing a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar project. Right. So, you know, how do you help them along to be able to sell this stuff when they've never sold design before, or have a hard time showing the value to a client that's used to getting it for free? Well, so that's the key word, right? Like value. And that's what it all centers around is how do you communicate that value? And I think that um, it's part of a bigger conversation around mindset, right? At the end of the day, uh, if you're not in the right mindset, um, uh, you know, to provide that value or communicate providing that value to a customer, that's going to be really, it's going to be a really tough obstacle. So that's what we spend a lot of time talking to customers in that particular situation about is coaching them on uh, here's, here's the, you know, another way to look at not only your business, here's another way to look at yourself, uh, and kind of our industry as a whole. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, particularly when we, we see a lot of the free verbiage, right. To, to take a slightly different spin or, or direction to answer that question. Uh, that's probably the more common scenario we see or, or pushback is, or questions around, um, you know, charging, how do I charge a customer for the design, right? Yeah. Getting them, getting a, a, you know, business owner to wrap their head around uh, the concept of design is fairly easy, but charging for them becomes another, another conversation. Yep. Um, and again, I think there's some uh, kind of some harsh, uh, harsh truths, harsh realities, uh, some perspectives, uh, maybe that, that we look at that, that through that maybe um, haven't been heard or haven't been told to those particular folks before. And um, it's really breaking the mold of, uh, I think maybe what we look at is sometimes a quoting mindset, right? Where mm -hmm. they're just focused on the activity and, and uh, getting quotes out the door and bidding jobs um, and transitioning to more of that consultative uh, sales approach, right? And, and that is what will allow you to provide the value. And that's what will position you to communicate um, or defend uh, or effectively position why you're charging for those services. Um, so again, the mindset of, of, buying into the concepts of designs and the value they provide is usually pretty easy, but then charging for them um, 
becomes a, a much deeper, uh, deeper conversation. Um, and that mindset is usually, that's a symptom, right? Like if we isolate, uh, you know, uh, again, do a little bit deeper dive on, on, okay, the symptom is the mindset of, uh, uncomfortable uncomfortability, if that's a word, I mean, maybe that's not even a word, but being uncomfortable handling those mm-hmm. conversations. Right. So what's causing the symptom of that? What's the underlying problem? Um, and I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of able to isolate that as, as a confidence issue, right? At the end yeah. of the day, and it's confidence in um, themselves, it's confidence in their business and it's confidence in the industry as a whole or lack thereof, right? Yeah. Um, and the value, again, to use that word, we're going to probably use that 30 more times uh, yeah. in this conversation, but so the value, yeah. it, it really is. It's, and there's no other way to, to kind of express it. There's no magic term outside of that, but, um, and the value that not only they and their business provides, but the value that we provide as an industry as a whole, right? Yeah. And I know we, we've, we've had this conversation before about some parallels, right? And I think the, the lawyer parallel is a really good one that we use all the time, right? Yeah. Like as a lawyer will take your phone call, right? And yep. they'll listen to your problem um, and hear you out and say, cool, man, like I, I have some solutions for you. But as soon as they start providing recommendations or ideas or solutions, then they start charging. Right. Um, and I think that that's the mindset that we try uh, and kind of coach or um, encourage our customers to consider is that as soon as you start providing value, get comfortable charging for it. Um, 100%, yeah. And and that can extend, by the way, even even beyond the design agreement. That's just one component of it, right? But right. Uh, that's part of the consultation. So uh, even going as far as getting comfortable with with charging for you know on site consultations uh, can can that's like some next level stuff, right? Once you get comfortable charging. Mm-hmm. Uh, for something like the design, which is a tangible uh, service, so that's a little bit uh, easier to wrap wrap uh, your mind around than yep. than charging for something like an on site consultation, even. Um, so yeah, I think to answer that long long winded answer to your question, but I think it's mindset based and starting to shift uh, and and really just instill some confidence in our customers and say, hey man, like this is what's going on as an industry, like this is yeah. cool. There's a movement going on, right. Yeah. To, to, uh, have, uh, customers, uh, the end user, the homeowner view us as more of a professional service provider. Right. And, and that's 100%. some of those, the, maybe it's a, a key piece. phrase. Yeah. And even, you know, I think Henry Ford said it best. If you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's all in your mind. It, it's, and that's why some guys can charge 3,500, $5,000, $10,000 for design. And the next guy can't even get the job for free design. The differences between the years, nothing else, right? And yeah. confidence comes from competence. And if you want to be competent, you've got to be able to, you know, do the reps and get, get the work down so that you can go out and deliver with confidence, right? So if, if you, the nice part about hiring somebody like yourself is the fact that you have all those designs, you know, that design prowess and those chops already preset. And then I just say, Hey, I need it to look like A, B, and C. Here's the measurements. You create this beautiful design. I go out and I talk to people about it, right? Makes it super easy. Now, it's easy if you know how to talk about design, but if you're used to, you know, slinging pavers all day long and you don't have the vernacular to go out and, and communicate with clients. And it's not about having big words, because to be honest with you, the smaller the words, the more people understand the big design speak is bullshit. It makes other people excited in the industry. And I don't get into any of that because if here's the bottom line, Kevin, if you go out and you have this amazing design that say you create a design, and you give it to a contractor, he goes and reads a book on the weekend with all these big design terms in it and all that. And he's trying to impress and wow the client with all of his design understanding. Problem is that the client's mind, if you start using big words 
words that clients don't hear all the time. What happens is they get stuck on those words. So if you're talking through a project and you're like, you know what, I'm really thinking that I'd love to have the deck over on this side because it blocks the view of the of the sun and it gives you a nice melodic movement through the backyard and there's good balance and and foundational awareness. Like you start getting into all this stuff and like all this whimsical bullshit. Some people might get into that, but 99% of people, and I'm telling you right now what your customers are thinking, they're thinking, what did he just say? Because I'm so stuck on those 14 words he used before that I don't understand why they're in our conversation. They're burning calories on shit they don't need to be burning calories on. And they're, you're losing them. So keep it simple and direct. And when you do simple and direct and words that they understand, they're going to stay with you. They burn less calories. They go along with this ride with you much faster. You're not stuck in the last paragraph as you're moving through your conversation, trying to sound like you know what the hell you're talking about, right? So keep it simple, yeah. keep it direct, and keep it understanding because the, the number one function you have in any part of your business with your client is that you are the guide, not the hero. So don't try to go in there and be in the hero that has all these major, you know, magic words that are designer words. Screw all that stuff. You go in there and guide your clients. Protect your clients at all costs. You protect their money. You protect their decisions. And you move them through. And what I mean by that is if they're looking to do a fire pit, right, in the backyard, and you get to a position where you know that a fire pit's going to cost three, four, five, six, eight thousand, whatever, we're going to use a number in there. And they tell you they're going to use it probably once a year, but they really want it. Don't just say, yeah, sounds good. I'll make sure I have one of those in there. Question them. That's what we're here. We're guides, right? You question them. Would you really want to spend five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars on a fire pit to use it once a year? Or as a suggestion, if you're open to the idea, what if we did a fire table out there? What if we did a fire table for two grand and you can move it around? And think about it, that space that's now allocated for lounging with that built-in fire pit that cost you more money. If you did a fire table, it'll cost you much less money and you can move it. That can become a dining space. That could become any other space you want it to be. So you have flexibility. So it costs you less and you get more. What do you guys think about that? And the crazy part is, dude, and I know I've said this a hundred times, but the crazy part is that three, four, five, eight thousand, whatever it is for the fire pit might turn into 20 or 30,000 because you built trust. Trust. Yeah. And it, it, uh, right. It's trying down You're guiding clients, guide people. Don't try to take advantage of them. Don't be like, oh, I got them now. Cool. They need a retaining wall. No, they don't just grade it. Yeah. You know what I mean? In, in, in general, just try to help them save money and they're going to open their wallet up much further and they're going to trust you and tell their friends about how you guided them because you didn't want them to make mistakes. It, that, it's huge, man. Uh, there's so many points that you just mentioned there, but a couple of like the overarching note that I just jotted down is that customer experience, right? And yeah, a lot of those conversations um, uh, frame how, how the customer views their experience with you. But um, and, and again, adopting that mindset of we are the professionals, right? And you don't yes. have to have the, all the answers, right? To nope. your point, like dumb it down. Uh, if you use uh, those, we don't, as humans, we don't like to admit that we don't know something, right? Like we, we don't want to admit that. Um, we're, you know, we're making a phone call to landscapers like ourselves because we know we need help, right? And that's a big first step. Um, but uh, we don't want to feel dumb at the same time either. So that those, those big words uh, you know, can be a problem like that. But again, adapting that mindset of we are the professionals, we have value to provide. Yep. Um, that, that's, we encourage the question asking all the time, right? Like keep asking questions, you know, and do, you gotta be able to read people to a degree and, and, and frame those questions effectively. Um, but asking them for things like permission to show them ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the fire pit example is fantastic. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, uh, we, we see that, that all the time too on people. Oh, I want a fire pit, right? Everyone's a fire pit if you're, if you're building a patio. Um, yep. Yep. but when you look at it objectively, uh, going one step further on 
some of the behind the scenes in, in design development, design principles. Um, it's easy to get carried away as a designer, right? On, on oh, yeah. adding cool features. Yep. Um, but when you look at it again, through that objective lens on kind of like the return, right? To your, again, to your point of, you know, five, $10,000, whatever that fire pit costs. Now you have the, the fire pit, but you also have a dedicated patio space around it, right? Okay. Um, that's, you know, some square footage and flat work there. So the cost starts to balloon pretty quickly on something like a fire pit. And that's a fantastic perspective on, uh, we're big advocates for the, you know, portable fire pits as well for that reason, yep. you know? Yep. Um, it's another function and aesthetic, right? They're the two things we deal with as designers, right? So functionally, you can still have your fire. Aesthetically, it's still going to look great. Um, but by the way, you're going to save a bunch of money. Um, or even you have the again, people that want wood fired, you know, and then you say, okay, well, I'm, it's no problem. We can build a wood fired fire pit for you. Uh, how often do you think you're going to be able to go get wood and store it and all that stuff and prepare it and then put it out at night and deal with this, you know, the sparks and embers and all that stuff and the smell in your clothes. How often do you think you want to manage that? And once you start putting it in that context, cause that's the reality of what you get with a fire pit, right? What, how often do you want to do that? And most are like, not really that often. I just want the fire. Well, have you considered going with something gas then? Because you don't have any of those problems. You turn it off, you turn it on, you come home from work, you grab a glass of wine, you sit down with your family, you tell some stories from the day, you shut it off and you go to bed. It's that simple, right? There, there's no maintenance to it. And it might not cost you all that much more to run some lines to do that. So have you considered that option? And next thing you know, they're like, well, I haven't considered it, but you know what? And this has happened many times, Kevin. Um, clients be like, I still love a wood fire. I'm like, so do I. But here's my suggestion. Take it as you will. If you want a wood fire so bad, go to Lowe's and buy a $100 copper bowl, put it behind the shed and burn that thing once a year. Go out and put some marshmallows on it and you know do some s'mores with the kids. Put that thing behind the shed again or back in the shed and then use the one your daily user that you're going to be out there using it more often. You get both that way and you've got $100 more involved. So again, this is the guide side of things that we have to help our clients with and not think, oh, you said fire pit. I've got one kit from Techo Block that I use every single time that costs, I don't know what it costs now, three grand, five grand, whatever. And yeah. everybody gets the same one because that's all I know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it is a little crazy. <laughs> or you can be like me, right? And just burn your, burn your fire in your grass, right? You know what you I mean? Do that when, too. When you, <laughs> one time you want to have a fire, man, you know? Uh, but no, it, again, there's a, there's a core concept there. And, and you, you mentioned protecting the customer. Uh, but to protect the customer, you have to know the customer, right? So yeah. the, those questions you're describing that affords you the ability to, to know the customer and, and understand how you can best add value to them right. by asking those questions, by the way, too. Like not only do you get to know the customer better, but it's going to instill some trust and confidence and I respect, see. build build some of that uh, uh, those fundamental principles that ultimately are going to lead them to buy from you. Because again, at the end of the day, right, that's what they're buying. They're not buying your fire pit. They're not buying your Techo Block fire pit. They're buying you as the professional Correct. that can that can install that and provide that value. So and you need to differentiate yourself, regardless if you're designing or you're hiring someone like Kevin to design for you. If 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 your clients are looking at three different contractors and they all look the same, price is going to be the only thing they can go with. We just did a podcast of that with my sales coach. It was you know, I'm sure open some eyes because if you have three different guys bidding on it and they're all bidding the same 10 by 20 patio, you're going to have the same problem, right? They're only going to look at number. You've given them no other option. But if you're going in there with client experience being your number one, guiding them throughout having conversations like Kevin or I are having with your customers. And as soon as they said they want something, you make them fight for it. You immediately level up. You immediately become more valuable to your client, hence higher price. Just like your attorney or just like your doctor, they're, they're equipped, they're taught to ask you good questions so they can understand things better. You expect to pay more for that. 
you know, for me in this industry, I've been doing it 26 years now and it's grown a lot. Thank goodness. But we're still not to a point where someone calls an outdoor living designer and they feel like they're calling a doctor or lawyer with that level of, of professionalism. We're not there yet. We've got a long way to go. And I'm not happy until we get there. To every one of us, they expect that. They expect to pay us for design because our time is just as worth, has just as much worth as that doctor or lawyer. The same amount. We do different things, obviously. But if we're going out there with our hands down and kind of kicking the dirt and saying, you wouldn't want to buy anything from me, would you? Right. That kind of attitude, it's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to do these things. But when you go out there with confidence, because you have competence in this and you've learned how to communicate, the next thing you know, holy crap, like the whole world opens up. You're you're seeing projects. If your average projects is $10,000 and all of a sudden you start opening up how you communicate, then projects go 20, 30, 50, 100, 200, 500, 700. I know because that was me, Kevin. (laughs) I'm I'm not telling you, I'm not yelling at the world because I feel like I'm just mad at it. That was me. I had a hell of a time having a $6,500 conversation in the past when I first started. And then it just kept going. But a $65,000 conversation is different. It, it just, it stings differently. It moves differently. There's questions. There's less of you talking and there's more of you asking questions and diving in. And then, you know, a $500,000 conversation is different than a $65,000 conversation. So the, the, the way you get your projects to go become bigger and be able to work with people like Kevin is to learn how to communicate as needed on each of those levels. It's an internal thing. Unfortunately, this is not a tool you can go buy and you can sit in your shop and have your buddies drink beer around it or polish it on the weekends or put your arm out the window of it. This is a soft skill that you must learn. And if you want to take your business to the next level, you are the only bottleneck. Once you learn and your business will never outpace your growth. So if you think you're going to get in your business as a vehicle and you're going to just drive this thing along and it's going to grow and you're just going to stay the same, you're, I'm telling you right now, you've got some very big struggles coming. That's not how this works. Business only grows as fast as the leader grows. And the leader needs to be growing even faster than her business to fast pace this thing and to run it. It doesn't work that way. You can't sleep at the wheel and expect the car to drive itself. You must grow faster than your business if you want it to grow. And the way you do that is with the soft skills. And what's selling that and telling you that because we sell sales courses. That's not the point. My point is telling you, if you're not working on yourself, you will not grow your business point blank. Yeah. It, if you're not working on yourself, right. Cause it, that fundamental concept of, of right. The, the, again, for most landscapers are the ones selling this work, right. And, and the people buy from you, right. You're right. the one in front of them. Um, but you hit again on a couple key points there and you know, we keep circling back to the customer experience, right. And what does that journey look like? And I think that if you look at the, in any given market, the, what differentiates the kind of the bigger or marquee brand companies in any, any market from everybody else, uh, those companies, there's, they have fundamentally figured out how to provide uh, a exceptional client experience every time. Um, and, uh, a lot of that, it goes hand in hand with, it is a sale, right? So it goes hand in hand with some sales best practices, but again, going back to the fire pit example that you used, uh, and using some, uh, knowing how to position effectively uh, the solution you're, again, the solution, because that's ultimately what we're providing at the end of the day, how to position that solution to the end user, um, staying away from some of that jargon, industry jargon, but also knowing what's important to them, right? Like that fire pit, they don't give a shit, man. They do not give a damn about what tool you're using on that project, why uh, the material you're using almost is better than than the next one. Um, and that can really hinder that client experience, right? Um, if you're missing the mark on the solution that they came to you for. Yep. Um, 
I'm a big, uh, we're big advocates about kind of looking outside the industry for inspiration, right? Because there's a lot we can learn. At the end of the day, the, the core concepts of what builds an effective business or what makes an effective business uh, is, is universal, right? It's not specific to any one industry. Um, and, and just yesterday, actually, I was, uh, I shadowed my dad at work, like, nice. like, a, like an eight-year-old kid, man. But um, he uh, is in, you know, kind of the healthcare field. And mm-hmm. I spent the day kind of touring uh, with him, his facilities and talking to, to some of the folks in their organization. And one of the sales executives, very high high level uh, sales professional at a you know multi-billion dollar organization um, shared a story with me. You know, again, we get talking about landscaping and, and everybody has a story, right? Everybody that owns a home has a story about working with a landscaper, outdoor living professional. And he shared a story about uh, building a deck, right? And, and a patio. Um, and he had, you know, a series of four companies come in uh, to his home and, and kind of provide their solutions. A couple of them, he said, were, were so horrific, right? He ruled them out right away. Um, but there were two that he narrowed it down to. Um, and the only difference between these two companies, they both provided them designs, um, really loved both solutions. They were different in and of themselves, but at the end of the day, they, they captured what he was looking for. The only difference was that one contractor who they wanted to hire got so hung up on the deck board, right? And they wanted, they picked out them being the homeowner, the end user picked out a TimberTech deck board that they liked. And this contractor was insisting that they used Trex mm. and wouldn't bend and lost an $80,000 installation because he would not bend on the deck board, right? Yes. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it's funny, right? When I listen to that story, <clears throat> but also kind of aggravating, right? Cause it's like, oh dude, come on, man. You know, like over a deck board, you lost that installation. Yep. Um, and I get it, right? We all have our preferred materials, preferred vendors that they're coming from, but because <clears throat> he wasn't able to, uh, provide the solution and as a, just one component of that solution, one very, very simple component of that, that solution that he lost the job, did a fantastic job on everything else, wanted, the homeowner wanted to hire this, this contractor and they lost it because they, uh, they wouldn't uh, use another material, another brand of material. So that's incredible. Yeah. You think yeah. about how simple that is to, to fix, you know, so often in business we get, we, we fall in love with our product or service, right? We fall in love with how we do something and we forget about the client, right? And Peter Drucker says it best. He says, you know, if you want to have a raving fan forever, fall in love with your clients, not your product or service. Keep your thumb on their pulse. And as things change, right? We're going to talk here in a moment about, you know, designing in recessionary times. And when your clients are shifting, I don't care if it's real. I don't care if you like it. It doesn't matter. Perspective of prospect. What are they seeing? What are they feeling right now? And if they're thinking because interest rates are going up and they hear their neighbors aren't buying outdoor living, they may slow down. So it's a little bit tougher game. So if that's the case, we need to be thinking about how they see the world and how then we can integrate to help them, to guide them right through this process. Because inevitably we might get a bump here where we don't get a lot of work, but long-term we're going to recover. We're going to, it's it's always worked. I mean, though it's 26 years, I've been through recessions before, right? So it's not that big a deal. You're going to have a bump. You always keep a, you know, a war chest. So you're good through that. And the next thing you know, things start changing and you keep growing. And if you can build a company to run in the recession, imagine what happens when it's freaking boom time, baby right? You run it lean and mean. Some, an old guy told me that back in 08, 09. He's like, you just run your company lean and mean. And even when it's good, you run it lean and mean. So I managed to make sure my overhead is almost zero, right? We just run as hard as we possibly can. And when it's really good times, we make more money. When it's not so good times, we just keep rolling a little bit less. You know, and it's, it's not like you're sweating constantly because you've got all of this overhead that's crushing. 
your uh, your spirits in the within the business. So, Kevin, what do you think about in the designing and recessionary times? What are some things that you're seeing out there? Some trends, and how can we help our clients guide them? What are some pieces we can guide them with when we start talking about design in, in a time when people are more worried about cost? Yeah, so I think uh, two elements to that question, right? Like trends, and then and then how we can maybe adapt to to uh, to effectively position the company, but. The trends, I think that we might see a shift back to more of uh, away from some of the outdoor living stuff, potentially, and more, you know, uh, curb appeal type of, of, of projects, which seem to be uh, as, a, as a ratio of the overall number of projects have declined uh, over the last couple of years. So I think we might see a shift back to that stuff. So understanding um, that it might not all be outdoor living spaces, that might be one of, one of the trends I think that we'll see. Um, I think people will, will continue to reinvest in their homes. Some of the, this is this higher level stuff, right? Bigger picture, but when interest rates are high, uh, you know, particularly mortgage rates that see dampening some of the demand in the housing market, people are going to stay in their homes longer. Generally speaking, not a bad thing for our industry, uh, more likely to invest in their home. That's right. um, so I don't, uh, particularly to start the year here, uh, end of the last year was a little bit slower trend wise. Um, Demand across the industry was down a little bit from where it normally might be to end a year. Uh, but as soon as the calendar flipped, man, I mean, it's almost like collectively as a society, as a world, we've realized, uh, hey, we're still alive. The bottom didn't fall out economically. Yep. Um, we're going to be OK. And, and that seems to be that the demand uptick when the calendar flipped, uh, we've seen uh, again, we, we get maybe a little bit more of a unique perspective because we do work with contractors throughout uh, kind of, you know, the Northeast region into the Midwest. So, um, you know, we get some some different indicators than maybe like a local landscaper would in their yeah. in their micro market geographic region. But yeah, demand kind of uh, tipped up more than than uh, we anticipated, I think, to start the year, which is great. Everybody's everybody's also more positive. Right. Yeah. Positivity yeah. drives a lot of demand. Um, so so that's cool. I think the outlook's pretty good here for, for 2023. But um, we, we do have, right, some, some economic decline looming and that will, uh, again, to your point, that will impact how, um, the end user, the homeowner, uh, you know, perceives the investment that they're about to make. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, I don't have any better way to, to, uh, kind of answer that question than circling back to the customer experience again, right? The designs are, are part of that understanding that they're only one component of that overall customer experience, right? Like you can't not call somebody back for three weeks and then uh, yeah. expect to pick up the phone, go meet them and then sell them a design right away. Like that's not, it's not the end all be all um, solution. So it's part of that, that customer experience. I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't uh, circle back to that again, but from a, you know, kind of assuming that there's uh, some attention being paid to that and the customer journey, the experience you're providing them is, is foundationally solid. Um, the designs themselves, uh, as soon as, when, again, when we talk about value and building, establishing trust and respect with a, with a prospective customer, as soon as you charge for something, right, then there's a perception that value is going to be provided, right? right. Yep. Um, so that just charging in and of itself uh, for the design can be one way as, as counterintuitive as that sounds, right? Mm -hmm. um, with a period of economic decline, by charging for the service, you're going to better position yourself as a, you know, a, a value oriented solution provider. So, um, so that would be one suggestion I would say, if, if you're not doing it currently, right? Like consider charging for, uh, the design at a minimum, um, again, counterintuitive, even exploring charging for those consultations, people like options, right? So that, you know, uh, one of the things that has happened here too, over the pandemic is, 
Um, collectively, we're, we're a lot more comfortable uh, as consumers handling meetings virtually, like yep. like we're doing right now even, right? Like it's, it's become commonplace. You can position that, leverage that, right? Like leverage that, um, that comfort level uh, with, with, you know, not having to be in front of somebody face to face as an option, uh, yep. to handle meetings with them. Right. Uh, so we're giving them an option now, uh, to, you know, maybe have a virtual meeting at no cost. Um, you know, again, counterintuitive, but if, if you position that one as, as your free option, you have the ability then to charge an onsite consultation fee, um, for your, your in-person meetings, that can be another tool in the toolbox. To, yep. to start to establish that value. It's, it's, it's changing uh, it's that paradigm shift, right? Changing the tone of, Hey, I'm going to show up and we're going to start, we're going to start diving into this. We're going to have some solutions that we're going to talk through with you. Yep. Um, and then, you know, so again, all this conversation is positioning that design um, within the design, within the realm of preparing that design, uh, you know, to one of your points earlier about asking those questions, those questions are going to become even more important than they have been over the last couple of years here. Um, mm -hmm. The dollars are going to be a little bit tighter. Uh, we have to collectively be better uh, at identifying uh, really what are they looking to buy at the end of the day? What is going to provide them the most value objectively, financially on a return in that space, right? Providing creative solutions when possible, like the fire pit example, again, to, to, to bring that back into play, right? Um, you know, doing a better job about uh, asking budgets is probably going to be, mm. again, another one that maybe wasn't as critical over the last couple of years. Um, if you uh, are able to uh, part of using a design agreement too allows allows that conversation to occur a little bit easier to get that information out of them. You can position it as, hey, uh, you know, if we don't have uh, a budget to, to kind of reel us in, we might run a little bit wild. And that's that ultimately hinders the customer experience, by the way, too, if you blow their budget on a design. Yeah, they don't like that at all. No, they don't like that, man. <laughs> Again, this is, we don't like we don't like admitting when we're wrong, technically, no, we no. generally speak as humans, and we don't like a sure shit on it, like admitting that we can't afford something, right? No, like that's not, sure. that's not cool, you know? Um, so and, that-, and that clients, We found that clients don't like to take projects apart, like design-wise. If you show them a design that was over their budget, we find that it really chaps their ass to then take parts out. And if they feel like they're losing something, if you showed them, say they had a $200,000 budget, you show them a $250,000 but you know, budget to project design. And they look at it and they're like, that looks really cool, but now we got to pull stuff out and I don't want to. Now I hate this guy because he's making me do something. I love exactly what it is, but I can't spend that much money. So we found the opposite works better to kind of build up a baseline and then let them add to it as opposed to subtract from it. It's a different psychology where they feel like they've got more control and they're not losing, they're gaining. So just keep that in mind. Well, not you particularly, but listeners, keep yeah. that in mind as you're going to always have them buy up instead of trying to take away things from them from this crazy design. I've I've, I've made that mistake one too many times because as designers, right, in our heart, we want to show them the best the space can be, right? That's our thing. Like we're like, hey, well, a little bit extra, you can do this, this, and this. This thing is banging, man. Look at this thing. People are never going to leave this. They're not going to sleep in the house anymore. They're going to come out here and hang out in this space. It's so amazing. And the problem is that the client looks at it and they're like, yeah, we're not going to use that. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you piss them off and it's like, oh, I didn't listen really well. And then next thing you know, you're not getting that project. So. Yeah. It, right. Like we want to have input at the end of the day, it's their home, it's their money. Right. Yeah, and yeah. they're coming to us for, you know, to be that professional service provider and provide, you know, that, that outside perspective and, and come up with creative solutions. But at the end of the day, it's their home, their money, they know how they're going to use it. Yeah. So a lot of the questions that should, and that's what, you know, we, it, when we're in front of homeowners, um, we ask those questions about how they, how they see themselves using the space. That, exactly. That's fundamentally one of the most important concepts with, um, asking those questions in those consultation meetings is really diving
diving into how how they see themselves using the space and then going one step further right? again yeah. with uh you know they might be telling you they think that they're going to use this, this particular element uh, but asking a couple more questions around what that yeah. means to them and yeah. how often do they use it those are all uh position you more effectively to provide not only the initial solution in the design but have some alternate solutions in mind like that's one of the other um uh, we try to proactively when we deliver a design to anybody whether it be a homeowner or a contractor have some uh, immediate backup solutions for how uh, something small can change how something could be tweaked how something could be added to your point yep. how it could be removed yep. um, just so you, you can be in the best position possible to handle those uh, and provide even more solutions right away right when you get right. the, those questions on it um, so uh, again that's the back-end customer experience almost right with with mm -hmm. uh, with the design the design element of it but um, but you're yeah, asking the questions will essentially the uh, you know couple sentence synopsis of that would be it effectively positioned you to, to provide those solutions and if you don't ask those questions it's going to be hard to uh, you, you're creating another hurdle that you're going to over have to overcome at some point right exactly. like if you don't ask those questions you're going to get the questions then from the, the homeowner when you're reviewing the designs so um, kevin i have a question for you about as the designer right so contractors call you you design the space for them how do you handle the budget situation? So if a contractor says, oh, my client says I got a $50,000 budget, but they hand you like a ton of stuff that they want that you know won't fit, or uh, they just give you a number and you got to design with it. So as the designer, how do you approach that number? And how do you know that you're not overvaluing the design, giving them too much or undervaluing it? Or like, how do you work as a designer to manage that topic? Yeah, man, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. We just had, had one last week, um, actually, for, uh, uh, a local one in Pennsylvania here where, you know, a $20,000 budget came through with a, a scope that was easily going to be, you know, north of $100,000. And yep. we flagged that stuff right away. And uh, that's actually a, not a bad scenario for us. You, you know, more commonly, uh, we're seeing a misalignment between um, the scope of a project communicated and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll always pull some data on you know, where the house is, uh, you know, geographic, what the value of the house is essentially. And there's yep. more often a misalignment there, but if we have a budget communicated in that scenario, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get the contractor on the phone right away and say, yo man, this, you know, probably isn't going to be a great experience, uh, mm -hmm. for the homeowner. If, if they communicated a budget to you and we're going to show them something that's, you know, five, six, eight X their budget. Yep. Um, so going through a little bit of an education process with the contractor at that point is usually where we'll start. Um, then we'll offer, uh, you know, ask some questions on how they want to approach it at that point, kind of check the pulse on, on where they're at, where their mind's at on, um, usually we're, we're trying to get, uh, at that stage, if it's that far apart, um, kind of a follow-up conversation with the homeowner. And that's a pretty easy conversation to have, right? Like, uh, you know, ideally in that situation, you know, whoever's in front of that end user, the contractor would be able to handle that conversation right away and say, hey, you know, hey, uh, you know, that budget that you're communicating to me, the scope you also communicated, um, I think we're going to be pretty far off, right? And however, however the talk track around that looks, but if that doesn't happen, and if it gets to the point where you know you walk away from from that meeting on site with with that homeowner and. Uh, you have a budget that's misaligning with the scope. It's not too difficult of a conversation to get them back on the phone, go back out there in person, however you want to handle that at that point, but have a follow-up conversation with them and say, listen, I slept on this. I'm starting to put some ideas to it. Um, I just want to make you aware that I think we're going to be pretty far off. And again, allow the customer to have some input at that, at that stage. Um, 
inevitably, you know, uh, it will generate a really good conversation with the homeowner. Absolutely. But how and do you it, handle it? Uh, kind of a follow-up question to that. How do you handle it? Say you were given a good budget for a project like that. You know, how do you decide with the design? You know, obviously if, if the contractor wants to use pavers or the homeowner wants pavers versus stamped concrete versus this versus that, you know, uh, liner pool versus gunite, like all these kinds of things. How do you manage that in-house when, you know, a project, you know how it is, dude, we've got landscaping, lighting, you've got lawn restoration, you've got all of these things that plug into a project that drive costs up. As a designer, how do you manage all those pieces? Do you give them ahead of time? Like, hey, the project you're talking about here is probably one to 120 or whatever, two to 250. Uh, are you good with that before we start? Or like, how does that, how do you know that on your side when you're not on site looking at it or, or you know, with Mrs. Jones, you might have a number, but you're like, how do you do that ahead of time? Do you do like a rough budget first to make sure it fits and then go into it? Or how does that work? Yeah. So if we're working uh, with a contractor, so I'm going to answer that question, I guess, as, as, as their service provider partner mm -hmm. in that scenario, um, with the budget, we use some just kind of industry benchmarks. Like we put a pretty good pulse on, on where, uh, kind of average price, price point, sustainable price points, we yeah. put that in there, average sustainable price points for mm -hmm. installations should fall. Um, so we have a really good idea when we're going through that design on, uh, you know, damn man, like we're at like a thousand square foot patio on this, like that's not going to line. Like we got it. We got to figure out a way to, to value engineer this and, and work backwards to get them closer to that budget. So we're keeping, keeping tabs on that as long, again, assuming that the, the budget and the scope are kind of in line, yeah. we're keeping tabs on that as we design. Um, uh, the, the second component of that question was more like material specific. We'll usually prep again, a contractor or a homeowner, whoever we're working with that, hey, we're gonna show you, hopefully we've had a conversation already, particularly if we're working with a homeowner, hopefully the con contractor's had a conversation already. But if not, uh, we generally recommend prepping them on, hey, we're gonna uh, maybe start with a recommended material and it's usually gonna be higher end and then we can work backwards on materials, right? Because uh, we allow the, the end user then to have some input and know what they're sacrificing by uh, giving up that that higher end material, uh, you know, kind of contrary to what you're talking about with the design components, yeah. the design elements, the materials seem to, from our experience, seem to work better that way versus starting with something like a stamped concrete and having to to work up and explain the value, the additional benefits that they might receive from from using those higher end materials um, tends to work better for you know position it with the higher end stuff and then and then yeah. the homeowner has an idea, the end user has an idea on what they're sacrificing. Uh, by going with a lower material. And that sacrifice maybe is a little bit of a harsh word, right? But um, understanding at least what they, you know. What their money is buying them, right? You know, obviously, exactly. if you're spending less, you're getting less. That's normally how it works. And, you know, we, we have a concept where we like to show clients what they want, what they asked for, and then show them what they can have, right? Have that option so that we have one option that lands somewhere close to their budget. And the second or third option could be things that go above it, but at least they have choices, it's when you give them one option and it's way over their budget and they see no path out that they get really pissed. <laughs> right? Yeah, and they yeah. feel like they're losing by taking things out. Like for us as designers, like, yeah, we'll just take the fireplace out. Not a big deal. And for them, they're like, oh my God, I saw a fireplace in my design and I can't unsee it now. And now you suck because you took it from me. And it's like, oh, I'm like, no, just raise your budget. <laughs> but I don't have any more money to give you. I'm like, hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a fun, it's a fun game. But, uh, yeah, there's, yeah. there's, I guess one final thought on that too, is there's a fine line as well when there is a discrepancy in budget that, uh, if you don't, to your point, if you don't show them what they kind of want it to see and you don't kind of prep them 
that you might not show them that because, and you don't, if you don't do that because statement to validate why, uh, when you go back to them and if they, you know, had this hundred thousand dollar project in mind, again, and communicate it, maybe this $20,000 budget, you go back and show them something that's $20,000 you're going to underwhelm them. And if you underwhelm them, it is incredibly dangerous territory to be in. Very, very hard uh, to establish value again at that point. They, they, it's, it's just, uh, it's gonna be a difficult scenario to, to, uh, to come back from. So underwhelming is, is, is pretty dangerous in, in designs. But so again, fine line there. Yep. Uh, but again, we, we try and keep the budget in mind as we're designing, not getting frivolous with it. That's um, yep. one of the pain points we had as contractors using outside outside resources ourselves at times where um, it comes back over designed and you're like you know you don't have any time to fix it before you go, got to go back to present it to the customer and you're like dude come on man like yeah, you're exactly. putting me in a really tough spot here now you know like now i gotta go tell this guy gal homeowner that uh hey the design yeah it looks great and by the way it's like five times what you wanted to spend and uh yeah sorry i just totally ignored your budget <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we had those those pains so yeah, oh, yeah. keeping it those pains still <laughs> yeah, to keep, those things yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin, I yeah. can talk to you all day long about this subject, but uh, before we run over here, how can people find you if they're interested to see what you guys do? If there are contractors looking for, you know, a design solution that they can take care of that form so they can focus on their business or focus focus on the sales or the installation side, how can they find you? Yes, yeah, so you can always call me directly on my cell phone. I love love taking the phone calls. Four eight four two four one six four zero two. Uh, again, that's my direct line. You can also visit us on our website, Scapes Designs, plural on that, scapesdesigns with an S dot com. Um, pardon the uh, the website. It still has some direct to consumer language on there, but there's a contact form on there that if you fill that out, it'll come directly to me as well. So either either way, work phone call or uh, or through our website. We can follow up that way. Awesome. Well, Kevin, any other uh, points of of wisdom you want to drop here before we finish up or have you finished? <laughs> I think I shared everything I got. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, a great conversation, man. I hope that uh, if just a couple people take something from it, right, we're, we're trying to help move that needle to a more professional industry. And I think that uh, conversations like this are needed. So. Absolutely. Kevin, thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us through design, you know, and, and understanding that the client experience is numero uno, right? Especially in, a, in the tougher times. The more you stand out, the better chance you'll have that project, uh, you know, in your company and you can uh, enjoy and impact that client's life, but you can't do it if you look like everybody else. So you got to differentiate yourself and you can do that through conversation, through the design level of design professionalism you're bringing in. All of those things help with that customer experience. So guys, I appreciate you listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.